Does that sound like from one end to the other? We walked from Cape Shank to Portsea along the coast. It was 30 kilometres and it took us about 10 hours. I think there was eight of us in the group, eight women. And there were times when um, I was kind of at the back because I wanted to make sure we didn't lose anybody and I was just walking on my own. So I was just thinking and processing and thinking and processing. And there were times when I was walking side by side with somebody and it was just an everyday conversation, just sort of yakking about whatever because we women yak about whatever. And then there were times when I was walking beside someone and the conversation was really, you know, full on. And it was like I was bearing something of my soul to them. And the, the way the conversation was moving, it was actually beginning to, to, ch- to change me, to transform me and to, to kind of help me to unpack stuff and make me a better person. And then the track would change again. It would be really narrow and there's like really tall grass because we'd be up on, the, up on the dunes and it'd just be like walk by myself time again. Um, you know, so it was just one of those days where there, was, there were times when there was... Um, there was nothing required of me and there were times when there was a great deal of vulnerability going on um, and it would come and go. And I don't know about you, but I find that there are often times in my life where I, I'm actually making decisions about whether or not to be vulnerable. And let me tell you, over the last week, as I've been looking at this passage, I've been to be vulnerable, to be fake... To be vulnerable, to be fake. I'm going to land somewhere in the middle, just so it's safe for you all and for me. Um, But I want to talk about this unnerving conversation that a woman had with Jesus beside a well. And it's a very big, big story. And it's a very important story. So it's in John chapter 4. If you want to have a look at it, you can open up your Bibles. I'm going to put a few bits of it up on the screen. Um, It's also one of those things where you could actually go away and just, just read it. Just read it for yourself and have a look. What did Jesus actually do there? What was the interaction that this woman had with Jesus? It's John chapter 4. So I want to set the scene. Jesus is heading to Galilee and, you know, it's hot and it's the middle of the day. And for some reason, he sort of just sits down beside a well and his posse go off into town to get some food. And while they're in town, a woman comes out of the town in the middle of the hot day sun to draw water. I suspect Jesus is there on purpose, but he's there nonetheless. And what's odd about a woman coming out of town to draw water at the well, you might go, well, nothing is there, but actually there is. This is, this is not a normal situation. This is not a normal scene. Because normally the women would get up in the morning and they'd get their pots and they'd go to the well in the town and they draw, or if they had to go out of the, out of town to get it, they would go out of town and they would draw it in the early morning before it got hot. Or late in the evening, if they needed to get more water, they'd go later in the, and they would all go together. So one woman, all on her own, heading out in the middle of the day in the hot sun to draw water far away on her own. Something's going on. Something's going on for her. Something big's going on for her. So whether it's that she is choosing not to go with those women because she's got just a whole bunch of shame that she doesn't want to go with them, or whether they have been cruel to her and they've ostracised her and they have made it very clear that she is not someone they want coming with them. Either way, whatever it is, there's something big going on for her that has caused her to be looking for water at a well outside the town in the middle of the day. 
and I feel a little bit sorry for her because she's probably gone out there going, I'm doing my thing and I never meet anyone because I know exactly when to go when there's not going to be anyone there. And lo and behold, she meets the strangest guy and has the most unnerving conversation. And the conversation opens with, will you draw me some water? Which is odd. Because being a Jewish person, he actually just, right in that very instant, broke three really important rules. One, he spoke to a woman, which was not allowed. Two, he spoke to a Samaritan woman. So just a bit of background. The Samaritans were people who um, had intermarried. They were Jewish people who had intermarried with the Assyrians like 400 years ago. And even 400 years later, the Jews are still like, oh, we don't speak to them because they're Samaritans. They sold out. So he's speaking to a woman, he's speaking to a Samaritan, and he's asked her to give him a drink, which is just like all of those things are wrong. And so the woman turns around and says, and I think there's a double meaning going on here. If you knew who I was, you wouldn't be asking that question. Because she knows in her head, you're a Jewish man and you shouldn't be asking me, and, and I'm a woman and I'm a Samaritan woman, and you're asking me to give you a drink. And if you knew who I was, you wouldn't be asking me for a drink. And she's, she's unpacking a little tiny bit of that vulnerability that's going on the inside. And what I love is that Jesus says back, well, if you knew who I was, it would be you asking me for a drink. And he's doing a little tiny bit of revealing on back. He's just opening up a little bit of himself. If you knew who I was, and, uh, and it's huge. And he goes on to say, and if you knew, I've got these on the slide. If you don't believe me, let's go with this. Um, you're, you're a Jew. if you knew who I was, how can you ask me for a drink? And then he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him. And even more than that, he would have given you living water, not stagnant old well water. He would have given you living water. And she's probably going like, do you mean like a spring? Because there's no spring around here, buddy. I've looked. We've looked for generations. There's no bubbling up living water spring. And he's actually alluding to something bigger. He's alluding to that thing that only God can provide, the kind of water only God can provide. If you knew who I was, says Jesus, it would be you asking me. And he's moved on to a spiritual conversation. And she's kind of stuck partway between in her response. I think I've got a response up here. Um, no, I'll go back to that later. She comes back and she's like, well, you know, how can you give me any water? You don't even have a rope and a pot to draw the water up with. You don't even have a bucket, let alone a tap. You don't even have a bucket to use this well, let alone some great skill to be able to make water magically appear. And then she says, who do you think you are? Are you better than Jacob, who actually built this well? Actually, he is, but she doesn't know it yet. And she's still grounded in the groundedness of this conversation, but he's gone on to a whole different spiritual level. And then Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
They, the water he gives means they will never thirst. It's kind of something deep that he's offering. And I love her response. How do I turn that off? That one? Her response, I reckon, went a bit like this. This is what I would do. If I was, if I was her, this is what I would do. Because I, I would put on a bit of a shutdown. I'm not going to show you who I really am. But actually, deep inside, I actually really, really want to. So I'm going to waver between the two. And I would say... Well, clever party trick man, if, uh, if you were clever enough to do that, then that would be something I would really want because you don't know what I've got going on inside here. And if you had that, then I wouldn't be out here in the middle of the day drawing this water at this well. Just, don't, don't give me that. But I don't need it anyway because I'm fine. You know, wavering between the two. And I reckon that's what she did. doesn't say that. That's a poetic license. But I think that's what she did. Well, that, that water, that'd be great, but you don't have it and I don't believe you and I don't need it anyway. And what I love is right there in that moment, I actually think she's become vulnerable because she could have actually said, eh, whatever, I'll give you a bit of water, i got to go because my, my day's busy, I've got people coming over. But she didn't because there was like this drawnness, like the mozzie on the balmy evening come into the light bulb in my house when I was a child and it would be a hot evening and they would just... And I reckon that's what's going on in her. She's like, but yeah, but nah, but yeah. but And she's drawn to him. And I think what happens in her, to pick up a different analogy, is that, is that like there's this heavy drapes and the curtains are hung and... And Jesus has gone up to them and he's gone, I've got, I've got water. And she's gone up going, those curtains, you can't look in there. I'm not giving any of that away. And talk to me about your clever party tricks. And she's moved to secure those curtains a little bit tighter. Because when the, when the curtains are drawn, no one can see what's inside. We can keep them all out. No one sees the mess that's inside. No one sees the chaos. And I wonder, I wonder for people, like, what, 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 is, what, what are the things that we're vulnerable about and that we close the curtains on? What are, what are our vulnerabilities? Because the vulnerabilities that we've all got are different to what that woman brought to that well. We're all different. We've all got different things. And I wonder whether vulnerabilities might be, you know, sharing what our fears are or actually asking for help or admitting we've been made redundant, or admitting that we're responsible for something that went wrong at work, or sitting beside a friend with terminal illness and admitting we don't know the answer, or sharing some struggles of our past, or some habits that we haven't been able to overcome, or admitting that you're broken, or admitting that you're not as strong as you appear, or sharing that you love someone. Like the couple uh, who've been dating and one comes to the other and says, are we going to do this? Is this real? Are we, do we actually have a future? Is this, is this happening? Because I think it's happening. And then the other person sits there and has to say, oh, am I going to make myself vulnerable? Am I actually going to make myself vulnerable and admit love? Am I actually going to do this? Because it's risky. 
it's really risky and we have to weigh it up because sometimes the risks are infinitely worth it, but sometimes it's risky. Vulnerability is risky because not everybody can be trusted with our deepest thoughts and feelings. And we're scared to death that people will reject us. That's actually where our vulnerability comes from, is that if we let people in, they may actually reject us. And so with everyday vulnerabilities and assessing whether to be vulnerable, we actually have to make some assessments. We have to say, is this person trustworthy? Is there a track record of them being able to hold things and not just go, tell everybody about it? Is there a trustworthiness to this person before I'm vulnerable? Um, Can they actually handle my vulnerabilities? Because, you know, there have been times when I've wanted to share something, but I'm not sure that person's got the capacity to hold it. I don't want to break them by sharing it. And do they actually have my best interests at heart? So there are the things that you weigh up before you decide whether to be vulnerable and share the deepest parts of you. I wrote this quote down. If vulnerability is the willingness to show up and let ourselves be seen, and sometimes shame gets in the way, how can we be authentically known when we're paralysed with the fear of what people might see? I actually think that's a really big thing we've got to work through. But the good thing about being vulnerable with Jesus is that he is trustworthy. He understands because he's been vulnerable. He has our best interests at heart. And he has the absolute capacity to hold whatever it is that we share. Jesus is trustworthy with our vulnerability. It's like in the story. So let's go back to the story. So she's gone up and gone, shut those curtains. I'm fine. But if you did have what you were saying, that would change my life. And then he does the next thing where he comes in like with a big punch and he says, go get your husband. And he's like kind of pulling those curtains a little bit more open. And she's like, I don't, I don't have a husband the technicality answer, and then she sort of does this whole... Because he has actually just gone straight into the core of the things that bust her up on the inside. And she says, I don't have a husband. She rushes over and she pulls those curtains shut. And Jesus says, you're right. You don't. But there have been five. In the way. And you know what? It's not about husband. It's actually about what is going on inside her inner pain. It's actually not the outworking of the issue he's talking about. It's about the thing that she's actually shutting the curtains on. It's right. It's hurt. It hurts and it's exposure. And so I was thinking about a time in my life when I had to do that. When I first was told that God loved me, I remember thinking, well... He couldn't possibly because I've got a whole lot of things in my life that are good reasons why God wouldn't want a bar of me. So I I get your theory that you're saying God loves me, but I actually know all of the reasons why God wouldn't love me. And they're not necessarily things that I have done wrong. It's not like, you know, um, I've been drinking and smoking and, you know, stuffing around. It's not those things. 
It was things that were inside of me that I thought made me deeply unworthy of God even having a sideways glance at me. And I felt like it was that, it was like I had such a big long list that it wasn't just a list, it was a list that rolled off into infinity. It was the biggest list. And I felt like God, if he looked at what was on my list, he would go, oh, not you. And I wonder if that's how that woman was feeling right there and then, just as I was. I held those things so closely and I actually didn't want God to have a bar of them. I didn't want him to look into them. And years later, when I actually heard about Jesus and I heard about the life that he'd lived and I heard about the death that he died on the cross and that that was actually so that I could come fully in front of God and be fully known by God, I went, oh, and I began to get it. But I'm pretty sure I held that list pretty close. I only let him into a few bits. Over time, it began to unroll. And then what the woman does next is probably quintessentially what I would do at every moment. Oh, look, there's a dog. That's what I do with my kids. When one of them falls over and it's not really bad, I go, oh, look, was that the Wiggles? And they're like, oh, what do you mean? And they've forgotten the skinned knee. Um, And the woman does this in there where she's like, Jesus says, you know, open the curtains and she goes oh look isn't that your friends coming back or you know we used to worship on the mountain and you guys you worship in the temple don't you she's doing this sort of like diversion thing and um and I think it's good it would be like um oh is that the time I must get on you know this kind of like oh you've gotten too close and I'm not loving it and I'm gonna divert um and she throws this thing about you know we worship on the mountain and you worship in the temple and Jesus says pull the curtains open and he says, I tell you the truth. It's not going to be about whether you worship on the mountain or whether you worship in the temple. It's about whether you worship in spirit and the truth and it's now. And I bring it and this is reality. He says, I tell you the truth and she says, I reckon in her heart, I believe you. She goes on and says, "Um, uh, I, I... I was always taught that a Messiah would come one day and unpack it all and explain it all and make everything right. And Jesus' answer to that is, it's me. The one who speaks to you today is the one you're talking about. It's me. I'm the one you've always hoped would come and make everything right. I'm the one you've always hoped would come and explain it all. And the way he's going to do it is by opening up the curtains and asking us to be vulnerable with him. I believe that when he said, it's me, I'm the one, he decided to be fully vulnerable. There's not a whole lot of times in scripture where Jesus is that vulnerable. He actually doesn't go around going, I'm the Messiah. Everybody pay attention to me. He doesn't. He's just subtle and he's soft and he's gentle. But in this moment, he actually says, it's me, I'm the one. And I think he's being deeply vulnerable. And she believes him. I believe that from vulnerability comes intimacy. And from intimacy comes transformation. And I think that woman was vulnerable with Jesus and had time where she was able to unpack what was going in her. And from that intimacy came transformation. And what came out of her transformation? An incredible courageousness because she did the most ridiculous thing ever she ran back into town 
and she gathered all of the people who probably looked at her wrongly or she thought they did and she said, you know all that stuff that you think you know that I know that you know that that I don't want you to know but I know that you know but you pretend not to know and I pretend that you don't know it. This guy knows it all and I've just been talking about it with him. He knows it all. I think he's the one. And they were so compelled by her transformation that they followed her. And over the course of the next few days, they too were transformed. I think out of vulnerability comes intimacy and out of intimacy comes transformation and out of transformation comes courage. What if we allow ourselves to be vulnerable with Jesus? Like fully vulnerable. Because I know that I'm not fully vulnerable and I need to be. What if while bringing our deepest things to him, we actually discovered an intimacy and a friendship and a relationship with him that was so amazing that it transformed us? What if we believed it when he said, I am the one who is going to bring all things right. I am the light of the world. What if we believed him? What's God doing in the world? What's the big picture? Because I believe that God looked at the world and said, I have to be vulnerable. And he put himself in the most vulnerable place, in a child, in a man dying on a cross. He took on vulnerability so that he could bring about intimacy, so that we could be transformed so that we could go courageously and run after things like Casa Vida, House of Life. That, that place, that, that ministry that we want to back is doing that which Jesus did with that woman on that day. That ministry is doing that which Jesus did with me in my heart when I opened up to him and he transformed me. God's doing that across the world and I want to go and play there. So our call is, I'll put up my last slide as I finish. Do you believe him? And what are you going to do about it? Run after him. Find out more about him. Talk to somebody about him. Delve in. Will you be vulnerable? I have today. Your turn. Will you be vulnerable? Because I know that we've all got things in our heart that whether it's the big almighty curtain that's got him closed out or it's just little bits and segments are curtained off. And in day to day, I'm like, I know I'm meant to talk to you about that, but I am not going to. And I focus on doing what I'm going to do. What if we were vulnerable with everything? What if he transformed everything in our lives? And what if out of our transformation, we went courageously And we told other people, this guy who's been transforming me, he's it. He's the one. Come on. And everybody was so compelled by our transformation that they came to Jesus as well. And what if we got behind Casavita and said, yeah, we see that you are doing that which God is on about. And we fully backed it. Because that's the courageous outworking of our lives. We're going to uh, 
We're going to take a moment. So the bit at the beginning when I said, let's take a breath, let's take another one. Because, you know, we've kind of been up and down and up and down today with some of the things that we've been talking about. And this is actually a chance for us to now stop and go, okay, vulnerability, okay, intimacy, okay, courage. Let's take a moment to actually talk to God. These guys are going to lead us. We're going to sing. Love it if you would join us. Let's take a moment and uh, use this space to have a breath. Use this space to be vulnerable with God. Use this space to uh, even name some of the places in your heart where you need to be vulnerable. Or use this space for a place for you to say, I want to be courageous for you. So keep transforming me so I can be courageous for you. Let's sing.